Hello, everybody, and welcome back to PodCanna episode 37. We are joined by Savise Hearthstone legend this week as a PodCanna guest, our first four-man guest pod. I'm interested to see how that goes. First, want to welcome you to the podcast, Savige, Um, and just how are you doing? How is how has Lorcana been for you? Thanks for having me. Lorcana is uh, it really came out of nowhere. Like I, I was just seeing a lot of talk about it, and me and my wife were looking into it, and she she used to play Magic, and she had never really played Hearthstone, but but we were just like, oh my god, we have to get our hands on these cards, and during the Christmas time, we finally got a few boxes, and just being like, kind of playing together, and just uh, reading up on it, and like watching your podcast, and all that kind of stuff, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited. And um, for people listening that might not know of you, can you give us a quick and brief history of sort of what you're doing in card games right now, and where you came from? Yeah, so I'll try to keep this short. I've been doing this for a very long time, but uh, so basically, ten years ago or so, um, I started doing Hearthstone content. And it was just by an accident. It was totally accident. I, I had a, I have a history in playing Magic since I was ten, uh, poker since I was eighteen. So I've always been into card games, and then but but I had kind of moved on from that kind of stuff to for like trying to do any of that stuff for living. And then Hearthstone came out, and I just started playing, and I couldn't st- I couldn't stop, and I couldn't find the content that I wanted to watch. So I started making it and. It's been quite a ride. Still, ten years later, making some hard stuff going on, but there's been a lot in the way. Like a lot of things that I've done. Like we talked a little bit before before we started about other games. Like I've I've done early testing for Marble Snap. I've done like early testing for Root Terror. I've played all of these games. Hearthstone, Magic. I I played Magic. Uh, I played in the Magic Pro League mm-hmm. for a, for a one season. I I finished third in one of the. I think it was the most viewed. Magic tournament of all time on Twitch. So I finished third in that. It was a like million dollar thing. That happened like that. I've also one more thing that was that I, I also, for Hearthstone, because I started as a competitive player, then I became more like an entertainer. The entertainer. I also did a bunch of commentary. So I've, I've casted BlizzCon and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, 10 years, lots of card games. I'm Lorcana is like the newest one for me. And uh, not making content is more like it's just a fun hobby, but I'm so happy to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the Magic Pro League, uh, of course, and poker a long time ago. What is your experience with physical t- TCGs specifically? Have you, have you, I'm assuming the MPL league that you competed in, was that online or was that in, in paper tournament? So the, the league that I competed in, it, it was around the time when uh, Magic Arena started, mm-hmm. uh, had just come to life. So then they put this big, but it was like a $10 million into the esports thing. So they, it was a, it was a league that wasn't played. Uh, on the client um, and uh, yeah there was a lot of like drama involving that like how did I get into the league because there was a lot of the other competitors were uh, were uh, uh, let's just say that they have longer history and how, how did I get should I have been in it and all that but we don't need to get into those those details but when it comes to physical games uh, magic and poker like I live in Las Vegas and I, I play regularly uh, poker and all that stuff but uh, magic, I just like growing up. I used to play on and off, and uh, and th- that's that's pretty much it. For, for example, some of these like great physical card games that I've heard you guys talk about on the podcast, like uh, Flesh and Blood and uh, One Piece. I know these are really popular, and I follow a bunch of people on Twitter uh, who, who talk about the games and how awesome they are, and recommending it to, to me. But uh, somehow I haven't gotten to actually playing them. But maybe one day. I'm mm-hmm. definitely curious, but I don't really know much about them. So off the back of the organized play announcement, which came out last week, are you are you aspiring to compete in person and in paper for Lakana at the regional and world championships that are slated for 2024 and 2025? 
so yeah, I'm actually am, but right now I'm kind of like juggling it. I don't think it's gonna be something I'm gonna like put all of my like 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 mega much time time or anything. But it is something that I talk with my wife. Uh, I mentioned that she she also used to play magic and all that. So it's it's kind of like a fun hobby for both of us. So and we are thinking about uh, when the organized place begins. We are, I already looked up a place that's like the closest one, basically where. Uh, we would probably play, I don't know if every week, but every second week, I definitely play like big event, but I, I'm thinking of it more like, okay, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll probably put in like a few days or a week of really hard uh, focus before the event and try to come up with the best deck I can. I'll give it my everything. But then if it doesn't work out, then I'm just like, okay, okay, I'm going to do other stuff for a while. So I'll try, but I mean, it's more, mostly just for fun. Mm. And um, I saw it just while we're doing this intro, I want to kind of collectively ask both you and to an extent more in a question, which is what is the current state of Hearthstone? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have played Hearthstone at one point. I mean, all of us here were Hearthstone players either now or at some point in the past. What is the current state of that game and what do you think is the uh, the future? Now, the game is still very much alive and all that stuff. I know there's always some when they when they, they laid off the engineers uh, last year and uh, okay, like maybe we're not getting that many new features or anything. And the esports program as well, the competitive play in Hearthstone has been getting smaller every year. So there's not that much to like kind of sort of look forward to, I suppose. But for anyone enjoying the game, it's uh, if it's still a good, excellent game to play. I think that the visuals and how it looks, everything. Like the client is still mostly smooth, this box, yeah, but but mostly like the gameplay experience is very good. But they are still regularly making expansions. So if you're a Hearthstone enjoyer, I think there's a lot of lot to enjoy still. And it, I think it's still by far kind of the most popular one when, when it comes to the content. And uh, yeah, I I think that it's like kind of hard. I'm a little jaded on it because I've been mm-hmm. doing it for so yeah. long, and I've kind of seen like the high points when everyone was playing, and now that's obviously not the case anymore. It's much a smaller game now, but I do think that they are on a sustainable uh, path right now. So so Hearthstone enjoyers can keep enjoying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, I love. I still love the gameplay. It's just with all the positive experience that I had with the esports part of the game, with esports uh, system getting worse and worse. For me, it's just too many painful memories if I was to play again. But still, <laughs> I, I love the game so much, and I'm, I'm I'm sure I would enjoy it if I was to to play it again. Yeah, I don't mm. think I ever played against you. I think we played at a little bit different times. Like yeah, I, I kind of had already shifted towards content creation. I wasn't even casting them, but I, I did recognize was I like Moyen. I was like, yeah, that's like vaguely familiar. I like yeah, probably seen you play or something. <laughs> what's it uh, What's it like being a content creator for as long as you have been, especially in a game like Hearthstone that has reached that peak of viewership, of excitement, and ha- now has started to teeter off? You used a word there that, that I really liked, which was sustainability, right? They found a model that is more sustainable for them, and they have that loyal, loyal customer base now. What's it like for you as a content creator at this phase of the game? It... It's it's interesting because like sometimes I'm like really enjoying the game and stuff, but when there's a batch that, for example, doesn't really hit the spot for me, I was just looking like right now we got a balance batch. That uh, was it two days ago, and it's just like they didn't really like some of the things that were like way too strong they addressed, but some of the other stuff they didn't. And now we're kind of in this meta where I was just like, okay, well, the ten ten best decks are not the decks that I would want to play, and it's it's a it's a kind of like a tough spot. So. Uh, after doing it for so long, when the game is at a point where it's not enjoyable, it, it's uh, it gets pretty tough. It's always like that with every content creation, where it's, it's like sometimes you're enjoying it way more than others. But 
I, I definitely find myself that when I'm not enjoying the games g game that I, I I have less less of it in me to kind of force myself into doing it. Like doing an eight hour stream or something when I'm not enjoying the game seems impossible now. Whereas back then, when I was maybe more starting out, it was just like you know, it's still like kind of there's this this excitement to it. it, it I'm, I'm like I mentioned, I said I said I used the word jaded earlier. That's kind mm -hmm. of it, it, it's just bound to happen after doing something for so long. Yep. Jaded is a perfect word for it. I mean, I've seen it happen with myself with multiple games now um, where although they might be introducing <clears throat> good features, I just I can't let go of my original experience. And not even that it's the nostalgic experience. It's kind of like I just remember the old days when I thought they were doing things correct. And it, it feels like there's this mm -hmm. part, this part of you that's like resistant to the current state and the current, the current way things are. And it's hard, really hard to get past that. I notice it with other great games that I play and enjoy. So Flesh and Blood, Marvel Snap. I mean, I've just engaged with the game, particularly coming from the content point of view. I've engaged with the game that is both organic, but in some part forced, that that, that aspect of it that is forced just starts to take over and drive this sort of this this sentiment that makes it it makes it hard to do because you have to, I feel like you have to actively try to look at things in a positive light and frame them in a way that you can sort of stay positive about the game because it's yeah jaded is it's definitely a slippery slope it's a slippery slope when it comes to the content yeah. it, it's it's funny how I think about it it's almost like there's like being like these different stages of grief like when you think about <laughs> that about the uh, like the glory days of Hearthstone like there was a moment in time when it was like it was 2015 2016 like those years. Uh, it's just like when everyone was playing and then when the game started kind of like you know like getting in line with other games instead of being such a like a powerful powerful thing it's just it's like no like why is this happening and it's just like it's so frustrating and it's just like you almost get like mad at them like what are you doing developers obviously it's not developers fault like everything like how long can something stay fresh uh, uh but it, it's just like right now where we at it's kind of like it's, you know like acceptance and just like okay like looking towards like kind of like you know this uh sustainable thing <laughs> yeah and um this i kind of want to ask the entire pod here but we talked about it last week we talked about the the quote-unquote death rune terror which is a hyperbolic way of saying it it is not actually dying but what is the future of card gaming specifically in the digital space and it could be this hybrid space as well digital and physical like with the premier sort of uh free-to-play card game not making it right probably mostly due to profitability it's what it seems like is the future just this marvel snap money extractor because we also at the same time we don't know if marvel snap is actually i mean we assume they're doing well because it's very expensive but they could all we don't know if it's a sustainable model if they will be able to last five to ten years like what is the future of card gaming specifically in the digital space and do we need do you think to an extent we need that hybrid model like does the physical space does it just go hand in hand with the digital card game? Should they be um, symbiotic or should they exist at the same time, do you think, for, for a singular game? Like Lorcana does with Pixelborn and the physical play. I, I think or it's a game. really interesting question, honestly. And it's something that uh, I kind of just like I, I asked you before about the whole magic thing. And it's kind of what you said, Savich, is when you, when you were playing, there's ma magic players for like 20 plus years, right? And They've been playing physically, and then, you know, uh, Magic Gathering Arena comes along. And you kind of have this uh, symbolic thing. Obviously, it took quite a, quite a while for that to happen. But then you have these players that, um, you know, if you, if you can't travel to uh, local events or certain events where you have to qualify to be able to get to these big returns and stuff, like the accessibility that a digital client offers is uh, absolutely enormous. But it's also interesting because we're seeing so many... Uh, 
we are seeing so many new physical card games pop up. I mean, over the last five years, Brandon, when when was Flesh and Blood? It's, released? it's more it like, like twenty two, three years to be honest. Like there was yeah. a lull in the industry. So what's um yeah, sorry to sorry to interrupt, but there was this 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 time effectively happened uh, before in in history. It was in the sort of like the late '90s, from what I understand, maybe the early 2000s. There was this TCG renaissance where so many TCGs came out, physical TCGs, of course, because of the state of technology. Um, a huge, huge uh, bloat of games. Not all of them made it. Not all of them were good, but. Um, you know, there was a new one coming out every single week. Then we went into this lull period. Magic was on top. You had the big three on top, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon. And sort of the COVID time the was the revitalization of this. A lot of people point to that being off the back of Flesh and Blood. Flesh and Blood was that new premier game that came out and showed that you could be successful in this market. And now, like nowadays, right now in 2024, there's new games coming out every six months, every quarter. So I have a friend, um, his name is Zach Bunny, he owns something called Team Covenant. They're this online distributor for physical card games. Um, and he works with these smaller games like Flesh and Blood or, you know, like Sorcery, TCG, things like that. And he works directly with the companies. And he told me, he said before COVID, he would get a new game demo sent to him like every month, every few months or something like that. Now, he said he gets 10 plus a week, a week. So it's just, it's Crazy. like we're in this boom of TCGs right now, which is not necessarily yes. a good thing for the, uh, for the industry, but it has been really since that like, you know, one to two years post COVID, we've seen some players in the, in the industry show that you can be successful and now everybody's getting in. I think that's really interesting. First of all, I think that as a card game enjoyer, like there's nothing to worry about. Like just seeing how like there's always going to be card games. And there's new ones coming. There's old ones that are uh, adding things on on top of that. That's a very interesting thing to discuss. Like about the di digital space, like uh, the, the death of uh, of Runeterra, even though it's not not necessarily death, but yeah, like the downscaling and all that. And I remember that in the in the announcement, they were like that it's never been profitable, and it's just kind of like. <laughs> Yeah, How many crazy. years has the game existed and it's not profitable? Um, but yeah, like physical card games seem to be doing really well. And we've seen, there was also this, uh, I want to mention like other like digital games. So we had this crazy, crazy boom. I know because I used to, I did like this short sponsorship for <laughs> for many of them where we had like digital card games popping up just like, it felt like every week there's a new digital card game that's just like, coming out and then like most of them didn't make it like even even the dota card game didn't make it they had valve behind it they started with a huge bang like artifact i played it for a month i was like okay maybe this is gonna go somewhere but no like it just it just died out like it, it couldn't make it um like card games are, are, are good but it's just like it hasn't been that many digital ones that have actually made made it uh like marvel snap obviously like and and, and you mentioned it that uh we don't really know how much money they're making, but I'm pretty sure they're doing they're doing pretty well uh, at the Marvel Snap uh, when it comes to like profitability. I believe the studio also just got the huge investment. They yeah. have like raised a hundred yeah. million, and mm -hmm. uh, they're hiring for a second game now. They're gonna make a new game, knowing that theme is just consists of basically of uh, of people who worked on Hearthstone and like card games. It would be it would be amazing if they like. Uh, shocking let's say another amazing let's say shocking if they made not a god game what could it be would it be what 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 if they what if their new game is going to be a digital organa like like hey like they're already like licensed by by the, the money's coming from like uh, marvel that's mm -hmm. disney right so mm -hmm. if if the let's say the Lorcana, i'm just like dreaming here but what if what if disney decided okay like let's okay this pixel board thing there's something to it people are really enjoying it what if we made our own thing who should we call 
well, Ben Brody, like they have an entire team and they just had success. They are already like basically so. But I mean, it's it's not it's not it's not gonna be it. But it's it's a, but that, it's a good be, point. It's though. Funny to think about. There's a lot to it talk is, about yeah. there because particularly because if they did that, they get Ben Brody, they get second dinner. But you know who else they get? They get that uh, that cabal of people that exist in second dinner that work on monetization. And I say that negatively. Um, I don't actually mean it that negatively, <laughs> but the, their monetization is really good. And uh, the reason I want to uh, I want to pick at that is because I think that the current setup of Lorcana with the existence of Pic Pixelborn is a completely free third party client um, with the paper analog that you can go and buy cards and compete in. They have an OP circuit. Or they have this perspective OP circuit 2024 and 2025. For me as a player, that is the optimal model. That is the optimal model because the biggest thing that irks me about TCGs is that effectively it's hard to play a lot of them because they they their distribution model or their model in terms of you know as a game advertising to the player it's like it's a really shitty model because like you can't get all the game pieces it's very hard to play the game it's very mm -hmm. expensive sometimes you can't just pick it up and play so when things like pixelborn exist it makes it adds a huge layer of accessibility to a game like lorcana but then if you put heavy mod let's, let's say heavy monetization behind that they have a official online client and you know it becomes hearthstone or worse levels of monetization it's like we completely delete all, all of the, what I see to be the really, really good aspects of the online play right now. I love being able to play the game on demand. Um, and I think that there could be a lot of merit in a, in an online client that's sponsored by the publisher, but I really, really do enjoy the accessibility that comes from being able to just be like, oh, should I buy Emerald cards and, um, and Ruby cards here? Well, let me go try it out. Let me go see because it, they are expensive and they are hard to get. It is yeah. interesting to think about like, what, how would they do it? And, and all that, like right now, also there's another layer to the accessibility because they haven't rolled out the product in all the countries yet. Mm -hmm. there's, there's still many countries to come where you just can't can't even get the physical cards. There's multiple reasons. In the countries where they release Lorcana, you can't, might not be able to get the cards because they're out of stock. And in the, <laughs> there's the countries where it's just like not available at all. So so the existence of Pixelborn right now is just like so important for the accessibility for many reasons. And for the digital version, I mean, I. I guess they could try to like go for the the most obvious maybe where where you would just say like the magic online like the old old magic online format where mm -hmm. basically when you buy a pack the price of the pack would be the same as physical one and then like maybe you can redeem them as paper ones and like kind of in that direction but there's also like if you if you kind of like reimagine it a little bit that I, I feel like there's a lot of um a lot of uh like room there to also just make like it's something something like a little bit different, but just like also in the same same world, um, just keeping the gameplay, but uh, adding, for example, like the monetization stuff, uh, uh, like in more like cosmetics and uh, that that kind of things, and also uh, well, I could keep talking about this forever, but like it's it's very fascinating. It's I'm curious to see if if they if Lorcana would come up with some kind of own digital version. Yeah. My uh, my first inclination is that if anything, they would look at the current state of the industry and the recent death of Runeterra, um, the success mm. of Marvel Snap, who maybe they're partnering with in this theoretical scenario to make this. They would be like, okay, monetization through cosmetics maybe not the way to go. Monetization through yeah, through, <laughs> through, uh, through power, which is what Marvel Snap does, uh, whether we like it or not, is monetization via power um, is the way to go. And I mean, You're I think right. I think that unfortunately, Second Dinner just found that they can crank the knob really high when it comes to the actual price on those cards, like insanely high. Um, for people who don't play Marvel Snap, each a new card comes out every single week, um, and they're about a hundred dollars a piece. 
mm-hmm. most people yeah. here that have played Marvel Ooh. Snap that are in entrenched players at all um, are usually hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars deep into that system to stay current. Like there, there is alternatives to an extent. I mean, it's, uh, it's fading, <laughs> it's, fa- it's fading month by month. But, um, if you are somewhat free to play or as free to play as you can be, uh, you are definitely grinding. you like, you are a slave to those weekly daily missions and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would worry that they would look at the precedent in the industry and they would, they would go hard in the monetization, which would take away, yeah. would take away the ex- accessibility. Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing as well there is, um, and I I think I I could be wrong, and obviously like, I've 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 like you mentioned, Brennan, I've spent hundreds of of dollars on on Marvel Snap. Only hundreds, like eh? Oh well, we won't we won't get into it, but um, yeah, it's like if if a, a studio like Second Dinner with their monetization, if they did take on something like Disney, um, it's it's really interesting as well. I want to just talk about the uh collecting aspect of physical card games as well because obviously we're all here to play the game right we love playing card games we love competitive stuff all that type of stuff uh an ip like disney there will be a lot of people that will collect these cards just to collect them because they are huge disney fans and i i don't know how much that is for a game like marvel snap oh do people just buy all of these variants because they love marvel sure there's probably some people like that so it's like if you brought a, an online version of Lorcana out which was heavily monetized in the right way, then people could probably maybe do this type of thing like this, like these extreme Disney fans. But I think it does ultimately boil down to um, accessibility for sure. Like that, that that's what's going to make a game uh, survive ultimately if it is accessible, both physically and digitally. Um, and yeah, it's... Uh, it's going to be interesting. I know we're, we're talking about the this Rune Terror thing. I believe they're going to uh, make an official statement on it I, uh, this Friday, I think, in the mm-hmm. next few days or so. So looking forward to see what that's going to be. But yeah, it, it's it's hard. Like another game we saw drop off very fast was... We actually haven't, haven't mentioned this game on the podcast yet, but it was DC Dual Force, which myself yeah. and Moyen, we were actually kind of... I wouldn't say we were like invested, but like we, we played <laughs> the game a lot. We actually did play the game a lot. Mo- Moyen probably more than me at one stage. And Moyen was really, really intrigued by it and stuff. But uh, ultimately, uh, the, the, the problems with that game was uh, I noticed that the company spent a lot of money on sponsorships to, you know, show it, you know, this streamer promote, promoted, that streamer promoted, all of this type of stuff. And uh, I truly just don't think that the game was uh, yeah. was ready. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very... Like we've said it already in this podcast, hyper competitive TCG market right now. Hyper competitive. Mm-hmm. You can't release like DC Dual for DC Dual Force. You can't look like that. At least I mean, game mechanics, bugs aside, you just can't look like that. If uh, if Marvel snaps has the precedent for what polish looks like, and like, <laughs> let's be honest, Pixelborn is setting precedent for what you know some one dude can whip up, uh, free yeah, yeah, completely free crazy. to play. Like yeah. that, that 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 Pixelborn. For me, it's looks a hundred x better than DX Dual. It's, it's crazy to think about that. So one guy who, who does it, that's just like passion project. I, I I read up about this, and he's I, I found some of, some of his comments on Reddit. I think it was, which is like, okay, if I, if Disney asked me, like I'll take it down and all that. It's just like he's just doing well, it yeah. just because just because of his passion. And it's just like it's crazy, not making any money. If he was making money out of it, by the way, that it probably would have. Oh, they would shut him down. down. But, yeah, <laughs> but so, uh, yeah. yeah. Pavel, uh, as far as I'm aware, he uh, any profit or any money he would make from it, he just makes sure that the servers are maintained, pays the server costs, and the rest of it he literally just donates to different charities voted by 
the, the Patreon, Patreon supporters, yeah. which is absolutely amazing. But uh, yeah, exactly what Brendan said. If this one man can whip up a spectator client in a night, then these big companies to 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 allow people like us, competitive players, mm -hmm. to run events to try and help their game grow, they can do it. If one man can do it, a studio can do it. Surely, you know. But that's yeah. just it's it's it's, it's just, just wild. Yeah. Is it sticking around? Like that's such a it's such a wild thing. Like for example, a content creation. Like I, I'm not planning on any lore kind of content creation at this time, but just for like fun or like if I if I if I was let's say I was getting into into like using Pixelborn as the as the vehicle for the content. Like you you don't know if it's gonna be there tomorrow. Like mm -hmm. what what's gonna happen? Like well, like when, when does when is Disney gonna intervene? Is Ravensburger gonna like intervene at some point? Uh, what if it gets too popular? What if like the, when the product is no longer flying? Off the shelves like is that something they would look at to like okay like let's make these online players go for their physical product it's just it, it's so many question marks are, are surrounding it like i i did notice that for example like the, the official like lorcana account on like x is like following a bunch of like pixel board creators and all that so yeah they, they know it's happening and i'm sure they they're like they're like kind of like at least quiet like okay like this is awesome and i think pixel board is also just like pushing the community forward as a whole like it's just like Kind of like this weird glue that keeps everything together. So it's it's a fantastic thing for now. But the, for anyone like looking into content creation, if you want to use Pixelboard, it's uh, you don't really know what the future holds. Mm. Yeah, for now, it's great for the game, but it's like it could stop at any given day. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. exactly. Mm. So you're taking a huge risk, just like putting putting your likelihood in future. On, on, the, on yeah, the the difference is like, um, and you can grow like uh, there's so many people I know that have come from other card games like Marvel Snap and like and the you know they're they're doing lore kind of content at the moment and they're they're doing quite well right they are literally building their brand off of this but then say Pixelborn does shut down to like you know tomorrow then okay are they gonna you know buy three cameras top quality mics overhead stuff <laughs> to start doing all of this physical stuff I I don't think so you know like it, it it's it's very hard to do. It's yeah. very, very difficult to do. So I do think it's worth it, though, to be honest. Uh, coming from someone who does content in both digital and physical spaces, um, the physical space, the physical card game space is much... is Unless the digital card game you are doing content in is the biggest thing since, like, you know, sliced bread or something, like Hearthstone was at one point, like, I guess, Marvel mm -hmm. Snap was at a... Like, physical... The physical card gaming space as a content creator is... I think has a lot more room for profitability at the medium to small size because you work directly with sponsors who are literally selling the product that you are perpetuating. When you're talking mm -hmm. about a digital card game, there's there's no real analog for you to work with advertisers other than maybe if they had a content creator program where people, people could plug in your code and get a skin for like 20% off. With a physical card game, you can go to the local game store level, you can go to um, sort of even the mid distributor level and like mm -hmm. you can partner with them through sponsorships and you provide legitimate value to that business. So I think for medium to small creators, like these physical card games are a much better opportunity if you're looking for a way to sustainably create content and make some sort of income while you do it. I don't know if you can make it at your career and, you know, it's like any kind of content creation where, you know, the people at the top kind of take the lion's share of that. And it's it's definitely hard as a medium to small creator, but the opportunity is there. The opportunity is definitely there. And I think it's something it's like, yeah, go ahead. It, it's it's really interesting thing about the physical like yeah like if pixel burn shuts down like can you do it physically because we have some examples for it like, when we think about the all these like commander podcasts for magic mm -hmm. like brian gabler's show and like this this multiple there's like probably like five five mtg commander things uh like shows on youtube that are very successful very very successful and they are playing with physical cards but it's just 
I don't know. Like, I think it depends on the audience. Like, I feel like the audience for that might be like they might know the cards and like that kind of stuff. Like, so you in Lorcana as well. I feel like you'd have to have audience with it where like they're very familiar with the game. But I don't think it's impossible. But it does make things like kind of harder to follow. I would say because like on the digital client, you can see like immediately, okay, like how much how much like ink is available and all that stuff. It's just so easy to kind of like see see all the all the different. Uh, like important uh, informations like that. what's in the hand that's another one right? which is mm-hmm. like if you're doing it physically it's v- it can be very difficult to know what the player has in the hand so it, in order to kind of like ha- make the make the physical uh, videos and, and that like uh, uh, easy to watch i think it requires a lot of tech it requires mm-hmm. a lot of skill so the barrier of entry to be doing that is going to be much higher than just mm-hmm. like firing up pixel born and hit record yeah. 100%, yeah. I think I think the multiplayer format as well, honestly, like it it does really success su- successful on YouTube and stuff because it's just fun to watch, right? And also, I think card pool has a, a huge thing to do with it, right? Ma- Magic has so many cards, so many expansions, right? So the the cool thing about formats like Commander, so if people can can pull cards, old cards, new cards, stuff like this, and, and just have fun. I do think um i'm not sure, Savage, if you've actually played the multiplayer format of Lorcana because it is designed that you can play with multiple people. It's very fun. It is very, very fun. And I do think with the release of more cards, you could start to see kind of shows like that pop up with Lorcana. And that's really nice, honestly. And I think uh, that's a nice thing that will cater to um, people who enjoy card games that don't want to be as competitive as us and stuff like that, right? Like there, there, is, there is definitely a benefit to, to shows like that and stuff like that. Um, but... I mean, overall, I can see, I can see Brendan uh, smiling there. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not trying to, uh, it's just, it's nothing you said was incorrect whatsoever, but you are opening a big can of worms when you talk about multiplayer card games versus commander. Um, Cause I'll tell you that there has been, there's definitely been industry precedent that commander is the most profitable form of magic and games know that they realize that and they tried to make multiplayer a thing in their game. But from my, to my understanding, no matter how much has been forced, uh, cards have been templated in a way that they can be slotted into multiplayer. Like no game has come close to capturing the commander experience. And I think it's a really, really tough and in-depth question to ask is like, why is commander actually successful? Because it's kind of a phenomenon, to be honest, like flesh and blood, like a lot of these other paper card games, like they want to, they don't, they look at magic and they're like, they're not like, oh, we want to be the pro league. We want to be the MPL. We want to be the pro tour in the world championships. Mm-hmm. They look at magic and they're like, holy shit, that commander thing makes so much money. How do we make it so our game can attract that audience? It's a very hard thing to do. Like, I'm sure a lot of people have theories, but there is no, to my understanding, there's no absolutely clear answer in game plan to make it so your game appeals to that same customer base that is playing mtg commander because it's actually not rooted in multiplayer from what i understand and this is it's subjective of course but it's more rooted in the sort of the role play aspect of your deck and the community experience and some of that does come from card pool but a lot of it comes from the cards that exist in magic that allow you to create sort of unique and identifiable decks that you can empathize with and sort of you know take on the role of at the table everybody plays it for a different reason i'm sure but there is an aspect of commander that is not captured simply by putting multiplayer card templating on your card and i know lorcana wants lorcana you can tell you can see it by the cards they want they of course they want it to be a possibility you can play in multiplayer but they also realize they're like that's the profitable aspect of magic and they want that to be they want that to be a part of lorcana as well but it's tough it's tough Mm. commander is a phenomenon it is a phenomenon 
It is hard to articulate why that format is so successful, and it's hard to understand how you can replicate it in another game. So, so what exactly is the commander format? In Com Magic? So the commander format is a singleton format. Um, used to be, was it some Canadian Highlanders, Dragon Highlander, something like that. But basically, you have a hundred cards. They're all singleton, so you can't have any repeats. Um, you have a commander, so you have a single card that sets the identity of your deck. It adds restrictions to your deck building. Um, it exists outside of the deck, so it starts in a separate play zone. So you're like, I am um, I am Jenga Taxis. This is my Jenga Taxis deck, and it adds some restrictions to my deck building. Um, and yeah, your commander sits in a commander zone. There's different life totals, and it is effectively a multiplayer format. You can play it 1v1 as well, but you progress in sort of a clockwise or whatever rotation and everybody has a set amount of life there's politicking involved and yeah your the deck identity comes from the singleton aspect i guess in the in the commander hero uh anybody can add to that if i didn't give an accurate if there's more you can add I, to the no I, I think i think that's very accurate i want to just know one thing that you said there about politicking that's what makes a format like that super fun for for me in my opinion like i've i've even I don't think I've, I might have done four player Lorcana once, but I've mainly done three player Lorcana. And even the politicking that can happen there to try and say, okay, we got to stop this person from getting the 20 lore. Oh, then this person's going to start, we have, so it's kind of like the ga ganging up on each other. That's like a really fun, fun aspect, right? So and I, I, and I can imagine in Commander, it just gets absolutely crazy because of the, you know, the high health totals. And I can imagine the games kind of, kind of go on quite longer and stuff like that. So yeah it's it's really really interesting super super interesting i, I guess I, I think yeah i also think I, that's a very important one. Oh, you go first yeah i guess hearthstone kind of not the multiplayer experience but like the singleton decks they they capture the mm. uniqueness the uniqueness of the gameplay experiences it provides um but so far that at least in competitive hearthstone some people loved it but there was like most people had like a love-hate relationship to to singleton decks being viable and competitive because some some singleton cards were like extremely powerful and those being drawn had a huge impact on the outcome of the game there was even one card that like basically made made it so your deck is as close to how it would be in commanders so it's like i think you had to use uh one so singleton cards into your entire deck and higher deck size just so you, so you get some like some extra starting HP. Which was, oh uh, yeah, wasn't that like was that Prince Renathal? Yeah. Like yeah, which yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah. loved, but there was also a lot of people that hated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan personally. I just like I really enjoy the singleton like gameplay where you have one, where you can only play one copy of each card. It's, it's, I feel like it breaks the sort of uh, repetitiveness of the of many of the decks and like just also like extending the deck size. Like if you have forty cards and they're all different ones, it, it feels like to me at least that the, the games feel much more like different from each other. When I was like, if I'm playing a lot of games, I, I really don't want to play a play like a, a deck that's like every game feels a little bit the same. You're trying to do the same strategy. There's, there is there is certain aspect of fun to it as well where you just kind of like perfecting you know sharpening like mm -hmm. you know like just get it get it perfect and then those type of decks also tend to be very competitive but for me when it's like and like you kind of like you don't know like obviously like your cards are in random order you don't know how the game is going to play out the games play vastly different and then you just kind of like have to think on your feet and you just kind of like make the most of what you have and you never know what's going to happen next and just like being like quick and like uh, kind of like reactive and uh, creative I, I, that's like my favorite style of play it does it does multiple things it's like it uh, provides the games with like a level of uniqueness right but also it gives each player even in deck building phase it just gives them a little bit more 
the option to express themselves. It's, there's a lot more uh, weird, funny cards that you can include in singleton decks than in, in, than in normal decks. And I, I think it's something Hearthstone excels at in general is with all of the RNG and discover effects they include in their cards that they it can make for the game, like every game feeling very different to, to each other and like creating all of these um, experiences that maybe no one else ever had because they're, they're so rare and that you can talk about yeah. them so memorable. So I think that that's like, in general, that's like one of the greatest strengths of Hearthstone as a game. And another thing about those is that oftentimes this is both good and a bad thing is that in those, those type of decks, you tend to have cards that are vastly different in power levels. So then, especially in Hearthstone, because they design it in a way where it's like you have this card, it's like crazy, crazy strong, but it requires you to have this type of deck where every card is different. And then it comes to the draw RNG, like, will I get this card? Will I get it in the first half of the deck? Will it be in the starting hand? And then it's... It can also lead, I think, to some like negative play experiences, especially when you're playing against it. Like, oh, he had that ridiculously OP card, and like, and it's kind of like double-edged sword, I would say, where it's like these these crazy power-packed cards. I think it's the same in a Magic Commander. Like, I don't know, I don't really play that much Commanders. Maybe I'm off here, but I'm just like always thinking like these cards, like soldering and like just having like mm -hmm. if, if you if you have those like there's also like really different powers. So it it can be fun, but it can also be frustrating. Yeah. I want to switch back over to uh, Lorcana. We haven't been talking about Lorcana, but uh, you know, I want to switch to something very Lorcana native, which is I just want to ask you, Savish, in Lorcana, I mean, you can also draw on your experience with Hearthstone and other games. Like, archetypically, what kind of decks are you drawn to? And is there a specific color combination <laughs> or deck that currently exists in Lorcana that you, uh, that you find particularly interesting? Oh, oh man, definitely. So, so I tend to like, in, my, in the content that I create, uh, it usually like these days. Uh, I've been focusing on having these like big moments and uh, kind of like this like crazy, crazy, crazy decks. But like when it comes to if I'm just like you know entering a tournament and stuff, it would definitely be on the control side. So if I was making content, I would be playing like let's say Mufasa and like, just try to get the craziest Mufasas. Like try to get the Mufasa early on in the in the, the Mufasa in the board. into the Mufasa into the yes. Muf yeah, 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 something like that. Or yeah. or just try to like get the Mufasa in there on turn three and then try to cheat mm -hmm. out like a like a the most powerful creature you can with that. So that would be like the content that I make. But when I, if I was playing just for like my own enjoyment, it would probably be something with like ramp, like just say like like blue, blue steel maybe, which is like ramp and like you so you get like you get like three lands ahead or three ink, excuse me, three ink ahead and then you just like whole new world. That would be kind of like basically the the, the thing that I just like having these big board clears and just ramping, like mana ramping. That's that's one of the things that I like really enjoy. So so it'd be definitely like some kind of steel, steel blue or steel. I don't know. It's just the yeah. Mm. Actually, I really I like, like uh, I really like control in in Lorcana. Like the control decks in Lorcana re resemble the aspects of some of the best or the most fun control decks that have ever been to play in like other games. Um, I don't find the same thing for aggro in Lorcana. Like there aren't really aggro decks that I'm drawn to. I have I have liked. Yeah, you know, I guess I get a reputation of being a bit of an aggro hater. There have been aggro decks which I kind of like in <laughs> other games, uh, but Lorcana doesn't really capture that. We're like, like you mentioned, particularly Sapphire Steel. 
like the some of the the game actions you're taking in a sapphire steel deck are really interesting right you're getting far ahead on resources you're you're casting a whole new world and having this massive card advantage because you know you might be discarding one card your opponent is discarding five that's huge card advantage completely refilling your hand and you have these combo s cards with bell um and you have like these multiple game plans of attack you're also removing the board it's just it's a very very good sort of uh, encapsulation of what control can be in that ramp shell. And then on the other hand, you have Ruby Amethyst, which is, I think Ruby Amethyst got a little bit, a little bit less interesting. Um, this, this in chapter two versus chapter one in terms of like, the best control deck I've ever played. I still love the deck, but you know, if you look at like set one where you were drawing cards off the magic mirror, you were playing out the evasives to have this dynamic, aggressive game plan potentially against your opponent. Some of your opponents were coping and trying to infinitely loop their deck. And you know, mm -hmm. you were, you were absolutely beating them because you put their evasives in your deck. I don't know. Lorcana has really, really, really good control decks and mid-range decks, in my opinion. The aggro so far has been lacking for me. But we do have an aggro player on the podcast, luckily, uh, in the form of Kala. <laughs> we, 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 say, we say I'm an aggro player, but I'm still playing Ruby Amethyst aggro, so I'm still on the same colors that is the, uh, the control deck, which is really interesting. We've talked about it so much about how flexible those two colors are. I think it's something that Lorcana does really well that you can... Actually, there's actually another deck now that isn't like that has the, the flexibility of you can play the control uh, version, you can play the aggro version. Like Lemon Lime in set one, um, Emerald and uh, Amber was very, like, you know, you have like your Lilo into your Simba, aggressive questing, stuff like that. And now you have the Mufasa decks coming out, which, uh, you know, they, they ultimately, I wouldn't call them con a, a control deck, to be honest. I would say they, they just put out dudes. They keep putting on the pressure and you want to keep questing. But they're not, I wouldn't call them an aggro deck either, right? They don't want to go as fast as uh, as the original kind of one did. So, yeah, I think with, with more cards, though, we'll start to see that, right? We'll start to see, oh, this is a aggro version of these two colors. This is a control version. But uh, there it is still very much uh, uh, a staple of some ink colors that, you know, like Sapphire Ramps. Ruby removes, you know, Amethyst draws, all of this type of stuff. So uh, I don't think we'll see too much of that changing soon. But uh, I guess since we're kind of talking about like different, uh, you know, ink color combinations, stuff like that, I want to get your opinions of each on the, the new location cards that are coming uh, in, mm. in the next set. Uh, are you familiar with, with, with how they work at the moment? I, I think so. I, I would like just really quickly, like, I don't know, go, go back on that. Yeah. Like, to Brendan, I think you mentioned that you don't like aggro. I, I'm just totally with you on that. Like, <laughs> I just like, no matter what god game I'm playing, it's just like, I feel like the thing about aggro decks that puts me off, like, they take skill. It's not, sometimes people say, oh, aggro doesn't take skill. I do think aggro takes skill, but I feel like with aggro decks, many times, like, it's just a vibe that I get. It's just like, that I, I don't like really like control the game in a, in a way where it's uh, like, I feel like I get my hand, starting hand and if it's bad, like I have much less chances where like with control, like I kind of like outplay my opponent. Maybe that's not yeah, that simple, but uh, yeah. I, I'm a like, big control chair. Oh, it's sorry. it's okay, a bit, of, it's a bit of a fallacy just... too, I think. Uh, I, we'll get to yeah. the, we'll get to the ink lands and the, and the, <laughs> and the new lands <laughs> that are coming, but it's a bit of a fallacy. Um, I've noticed it across games is like, I think players like me and you, and I think a lot of people People in this podcast do cope a bit because we like the idea of having agency in a game um but mm. card games at least in my opinion 
are not necessarily a reflection of agency. They are just a reflection of players making mistakes and deviating from the perfect game that was predetermined based on the setup of the deck. And control feels like you're making decisions. It feels like I have multiple decision paths and I have to weigh up both paths and pick which one is better to me. And it feels like it's almost subjective sometimes. Like there isn't an objectively clear, correct thing to do. And that what makes that's what makes it fa- fascinating. But what's actually happening is I'm just not intelligent enough to really see the objective path yet or the information is imperfect enough that I can't determine it uh, because I'm not smart enough. Where aggro decks, it's a bit more straightforward about like what you should be doing. And I think that we enjoy the idea of having more agency when in yeah. reality, I don't think we actually do. <laughs> is, is, is sort of my point when it comes to control versus aggro in games like this. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, like with an aggro, like, yeah, you play your one one cost card on turn one, you play a two cost card on turn two. So it's kind of simple in that way. But when it, when I mentioned the starting hands, like, oh, like you get a bad starting hand with aggro, you can't do anything. With, like, but it's the same thing with control. Like, if you if you don't have a let's say an early removal of some for something that's like really important to to remove, it's just like okay, like it, it doesn't necessarily like you can't just. Uh, like I don't, I don't think it's a skill versus like any any kind of that kind of thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people do make that argument too. I know it's kind of a cliche argument in card games, like, oh, control takes skill, aggro takes no skill. Um, that's yeah. like that's like the the level the level zero like level one card gamer mind. It's now, uh, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely not true. Um, even- one thing that I do want to say about that is though that that there's certain like different uh, skill that goes into when you play control against control. There's like a there's a skill that kind of kicks in, which is like a sort of like experience based. Where where you know that like if you if you're an experienced control player playing against another control player, there is like this room to maneuver where you know that like okay like I have to keep the to keep this like uh, this board clear for a certain moment or I have to keep this or like where where you mm-hmm. kind of like just based on your experience you know these like few few uh, like tricks where where it's like do not play your Elsa before this or whatever like it's just like when you trying maybe there's a timing thing like holding on to your certain cards. Um, that can give you an upper hand. Whereas I don't know if like maybe in different situations in aggro versus control it can happen too. But yeah, it, it, I ha- think um, it happens like uh, oh, oh, just quickly it happens. I think it happens with aggro as well, like not overcommitting to the board to be prepared. Uh, before I let right. before I pass over to Moyen, I think that what's happening there is you're you're taking um, suboptimal lines sometimes based off imperfect information, uh, and that yeah. that's 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 sort of my encapsulation of what makes that interesting. Go ahead, Moyen. Yeah, I was well, also was about to say that the same kind of thinking happens happens with, with aggressive decks. It's just um, the thing that comes up the most is how much do you need to pressure um, so that your opponent needs to play their best card that they could have in this mm. position, and how much can you hold back? Because like if you don't pressure enough, maybe you give them this opportunity where they win even without having like let's say the be prepared or something. And I think there's a lot of skill in that as well. Um, that, yeah. One experience I had with like also from Halfstone with aggro and control decks, it's like um, the aggro decks, they are a lot more punishing for when you do do the mistake. Maybe they're a little bit easier to play perfectly, but if you if you ever do a small misstep, they're, they're extremely punishing. While maybe in control you get to, you have a lot more decisions, but like with minor impacts on the outcome of the game. The, the, Right. Uh, you, you're, maybe you can you can get away with making a mistake a little bit more, but it's it's often a lot harder to play the game perfectly because there's a, there's a lot more that goes into this into the decisions, and there's more decisions to be made over the the course of the game. 
Yeah, it's just like I, I guess to kind of like wrap my thoughts on this, like what, what I meant, yeah, was just like yeah, yeah, there's like this overcommitting to be prepared and all that can happen, like aggro control. But what what I was thinking was like when you play, if you play aggro mirror and like there's a big skill difference, I feel like the weaker player can get away with it more often. Whereas like if you're doing control mirror, uh, it's like the the best player can have really high win rates. I've seen this in Hearthstone many times where it's like. This was only a few days ago when we had this uh, druid meta, and one of the best players, uh, Meaty, he he was talking about uh, about like like he loves the druid mirrors. It's like this like control combo mirror because he has almost a hundred percent win rate because it's so skill intensive. The games are so long. I just don't feel like you know enough if it was too fast decks that it would ever be possible for like to have those kind of like like the better player wins ninety five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the right. Lorcana had the definitely an aspect of that in chapter one. Um, less because of the player diff, uh, although it did exist, but more because of the deck building diff. Like uh, there was definitely one point when I felt like our Ruby Amethyst deck literally had probably ninety plus percent win rate into these uh, these infinite looping decks. It was just mm. a, it was a huge difference at some point because of the dynamic game plan of being able to pivot as the aggressor. Um, let's go. Let's talk about these locations. Um, your thoughts mm. on locations? We get we get a lot of comments. Uh, every week i think that they will be uh, less and less so but you know people talking about like locations locations look really op they look really overpowered uh you can't interact with them what are your thoughts on locations so far so uh, i mean i've talked a little bit about uh, so, okay well, on locations but uh just uh, i've seen some comments where like oh larkrona is too simple and we were a little bit touching upon it oh, yeah. as well where it's like there, there might be like some kind of like skill ceiling and like how, how well can you play and stuff i i, I think that it's fantastic they're already like in set three uh, they are adding these new things, like adding more depth, adding more complexity, adding new mechanics into the game. Like when we look back on, like, oh, like people mentioned, like I've seen some, I saw a little bit of like the online discourse on, on uh, like Lorcana is, is too simple or something like that. And then I'm just like, it hurts my brain because the game just came out and we're like, that they are, they are clearly want to start it in a way where it's easy to approach. This We have seen the same thing with every like Hearthstone, let's say Hearthstone started really simple and now we have so many more mechanics. There's a billion mechanics. And same with magic, like the, to keep adding mechanics, adding depth. So like anyone who says that Lorcana is too simple is like just I think a little short-sighted here. Like every game started out simple and and now locations, I feel like it's the first like layer of uh, complexity, new mechanics getting added to the game. I think it's a simple one. On the power level, you asked, uh, I have no idea. I'm just gonna be honest. Like I don't know like, how, how good or bad they're gonna be. Like you guys probably have more educated guesses on that, but I'm just like my my the biggest takeaway for me is that okay they're already starting to add more complexity they're adding more depth adding new mechanics I think that's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, more yeah, for, for me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think it's also something maybe it was talked about from from some Marvel Snap uh, dev discussions that I watched, uh, but it's something called um, I think like depth to complexity ratio where it's like. In in your game, you're you're trying to get a lot of depth, but um, the kind of currency you use to uh, to achieve that depth is the complexity and the rule set, because people need to get behind all of the rules to to actually play the game. So you want like little complexity, high depth, and I think that's what Lakana is doing very well right now. Mm. So it's, now they're adding some so like bit by bit, they can they're allowed to add some uh, complexity because people already know the space level of the game, and then. With that, they can add even more depth to the game. Yeah. Um, a comparison I would draw is just like, is, is chess simple? The answer is yes, but it's also no, <laughs> right? Chess has very, yeah. very little complexity in 
borderline extreme depth. <laughs> extreme depth. And I think that most people would argue the game is not simple, right? But they're referring to the depth. Um, Lakana is not chess. I'm not comparing it to chess, but it's a similar aspect. Like, just because the game is easy to understand and play at level zero does not mean that the game is simple. I think when a lot of people... Because, so, I've, I've encountered this a lot. This Lakana is simple um, sort of counter-argument. And... Some of it is because of the position we just talked about, which is it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not complex enough right now. It doesn't, but a lot of it comes from magic players, uh, not just magic players, but the card game players that are used to yes. instant, instant speed interaction. Yes. So they see asymmetric turns and they're like, that is too simple. I can't gotcha my opponent and there will not be enough interaction. I have, um, <clears throat> that was actually a position I held early when I saw Lorcana because it was, you know, it was magic-esque in nature and it's like magic without instant speed, that would suck. And magic without instant speed would suck, but this is not magic. And I feel like the way Lorcana does the asymmetric turns, at least so far, has felt really, really good. And it's actually hard for me to articulate why in Lorcana it particularly has felt like I've had a lot of agency as a player and there has been a lot of back and forth between my, me and my opponent. Maybe it's because I don't play aggro decks, but overall, um, yeah, it is, it is the biggest, when you, there's, there's two major critiques of Lokana, because I know a lot of competitive card game players, and the biggest pushback side is, guys, one, there's no OP, there's no reason to play the game. Well, now there is, there's OP. At least we have this like OP structure that's been outlined for us. And then the second is it's too simple. Savish, what would be your, like, what, what's your response when people say that Lokana is too simple? As... And when they use it as a thesis to not play the game, because oh. I feel like they, oh, that's what they this. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts on this, but yeah, I, I, you, I think you hit the nail on the head there, like with, with bringing up magic and it's just come it, like the, the thought of it being too simple coming from magic players. So I think like the fact that in Lorcana you play cards only on your own turn, like I don't think it's ever going to be as like complex as magic because, because, because of like how on magic you're kind of like, you can play on both turns. Uh, but 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 that's not a bad thing like people i think people need to stop saying it as a bad thing because that also in magic it's it one it slows down the game a lot uh or it can especially the online mm -hmm. version like it slows down the game a lot but two it just also like brings this like complexity and like learning curve which makes magic much harder to to start and approach i know like for many like maybe like it's it, that, that's kind of the thing that's the hardest to like grasp and like how to correctly play your instant and then if you if you don't know like how to time things like or entering combat mm -hmm. on your opponent's turn like is this the time like or like before the damage is dealt like it's just you know like for someone who's very casual like that's hard to approach and i think that like without this like yes i can see that like okay without playing cards in your opponent's turn it will never reach the exact like same complexity of magic like it's kind of can but there is so much strategy so much depth the lord can, can add just like keeping it keeping it like just playing like adding new mechanics adding new things like what about maybe in Lorcana, like for example, I think something could be a fitting design would be something like you you can you play your card, but it's like kind of like face down or something, and it's it's something that like happens if your opponent does something on their turn. Like I could see that happening, like in, in, a, yeah. like a secret, yeah, in Hearthstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, a secret yeah. in Hearthstone. Hmm. Like I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, but I, I playing cards in your opponents that's something that's definitely not happening. Yeah. Like it's just a, like because that yeah. From the architecture standpoint though of the game, and I don't we don't have comp comprehensive rules yet, is that there's like there's not really strict phases and layering that happens in Lorcana. Mm -hmm. And just to quickly touch on it in other games, uh, instance with any instant speed interaction, trigger interactions, or phasing interaction, because even if you were playing asymmetric and magic, you would still have phases be before combat. But like all of that stuff, it it sounds it feels nice, I guess, 
at first and there's like this you get more interaction technically but all of the bad shit about physical card games comes from layers and that kind of interaction so all of the angle shooting the gotchas the meta yeah. outside of the game it all comes from that interaction this these because comprehensive rules in a card game they look nothing like simple rules like they look like if you were trying to get a phd in physics like they're borderline unintelligible like trying to read the flesh and blood rules on phasing timing layering stacking triggers like it is mm -hmm. so complicated and it brings in this level of metagaming outside of the game that is absolutely not fun if it must exist to have certain interactions of the game for the game to feel like this i'm okay with it but if we can get rid of that at any point uh I actually really, really like it. I think that the, it's a huge burden on a card game when you talk about layers and phasing and all of the sort of, I don't know, like the glut that it adds to these uh, these card games and all this other knowledge you need to have to actually play the game. Because that's that's my, honestly, my least favorite thing about Flesh and Blood and least favorite thing about Magic is the burden that these systems bring with them. Because they are simple when you look at them on the surface level, but when you play at a highly competitive level, or even not a highly competitive level, because maybe your opponent wants to get one on you, um, the amount of things you need to understand is actually incredible. And the amount of unintuitive things you need to understand is actually incredible. It's a, it's a huge burden to the player. I really feel like there's a lot of similarities between Hearthstone and Lorcana in that way, where like when Hearthstone first came out, like it didn't Hearthstone didn't get its mega popular phase when the game was at its most complex. Like it actually was at its most popular when it was easily approachable. And I feel like Lorcana has something really special here. And like the 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 big reason why the product has been flying off the shelves has been because it's so easy to pick up. And and like that's just like amazing. Like I haven't seen that much marketing, and it's just like like the Disney IP just being like easy to approach. It's a lot of the it has a lot of the same things like playing cards only in your own turn and like all that. Like it has a lot of the same similarities to Hearthstone when Hearthstone first kicked off. Like a lot of the same type of like easy to approach gameplay while having a lot of depth to it. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. it's the easiest um, card game for for maybe non hardcore gamers to pick up. It's just which is. What exactly what it's trying to do, and I think it's perfect at that. It's, it should be. If if if, if let's say yeah. you want to get a friend into a card game, this is the game you do it with. It really is, and like all ages as well. I think that you can like play this with like with, with like very young people as well, and like Disney IP also helps. But that doesn't mean that it's a it's a children's card game by any means. It's just like, and we get, we're talking about like the the added depth and added strategy and new mechanics. Like now we get the locations. Like it's not gonna stop there. There's absolutely no way. Like they will keep adding, adding these things, and then the best players will be able to, play, able to adapt. And it's just, mm. yeah. oh, I'm so. We, we, I don't know if we're gonna talk about it or, or not today. But like the competitive play, like what is it gonna look like? It's it's gonna be very interesting to see because I have no <laughs> clue what Disney is going for. Yeah, they. Uh, well. Yeah, so they can take two routes, I think. Uh, they can take the one-piece route or the flesh and blood route. Uh, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. I hope they take flesh and blood, but maybe there's a collector base that's strong enough to support a one-piece style uh, um, prize support, which is promo-based prize support circuit, and where promos will basically be as good as money. That could be fine. Um, it could be more sustainable as well. But I do hope they look towards industry standard flesh and blood and put up over a million dollars as their as their pro circuit. One thing I want to point out, which is... Um, it's come to me a lot in regards to Lorcana. It's just like the cross-pollination of players. Um, like Lorcana does have mass appeal. It is marketed to be an easy to approach game. And that's really good. We need that. Like that, that player yep. base supports a card game. But at the same time, one thing Lorcana is doing that I've seen other 
I haven't seen other simple games do is that it's bringing a lot of people that I didn't expect to, expect to play physical card game together. For instance, look at this podcast, Marvel Snap, Hearthstone, mm-hmm. Hearthstone, Flesh and Blood. But we have players mm-hmm. coming from all different kinds of t- physical TCGs, but also from digital TCGs coming to try out this game. It That's really what gives me hope that this game has the chance to be big, is that I've never seen so many people from, you know, we all come from card games, but card game backgrounds can be quite diverse. And it feels like there's a massive diversity in terms of the card game players that Lorcana is attracting at this point, and we haven't even had OP hit yet. Yeah, that's a really, really fair point, honestly. Um, and it's 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 something as well I want to touch on what Savich said about the, the Disney IP. Having something as strong as a Disney IP will naturally attract a lot of people, a young audience, and an older audience, or like, a, 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 like I mean, even, uh, you know... A, Whenever I go to my locals, to be honest, it's mostly uh, dads there because they probably grew up either if it's through the 80s or 90s, all the Disney cartoons, all the nostalgia, all the cool characters. Um, you know what I mean? That's 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 amazing to see. But yeah, it's a really interesting point. This is also the the one card game I've seen that I've seen so many different people connect through from from previous card game backgrounds. For example, when I did Heart, even when I did Hearthstone and and when I was doing Marvel Snap, I had no interaction with any you know, magic or flesh and blood players, because obviously I was in the digital space and the physical space, that type of thing. So this is, I, I feel like is really connecting a lot of uh, players together. And I, I, I honestly, I've, I've really high hopes for the game moving into 20, late 2024 and then 2025 when we get the world championship as well. I think uh, when we, when we see the, the Disney Lorcana world championship, I think that's going to be uh, something really, really special. Like you said, Brendan, I just hope that they, um, approach it correctly in yeah. terms of how they will actually do like their prize structure the formatting stuff obviously we know about like the nationals regionals and world, world champions at the moment yeah um Savij, are you yeah, aware it's, it's of, important. of how one piece does its prizing structure versus how flesh and blood does it uh so i, I watched a little bit of uh, your podcast before and you kind of like touched upon it but i don't exactly remember yeah. so flesh and blood the they have different circuits to an extent but like if we look at lorcana circuit where they said they're going to have this uh this in-store gameplay leading to regional gameplay regional gameplay leading to world's gameplay uh, that's pretty similar to flesh and blood one piece might have something similar as well but in terms of prizing one Piece does it via promos, uh, which can be very lucrative. These promos are limited uh, usually to mm. the events or, you know, they can be due to a series of events. You can only really get them there and they generally sell to collectors. Because like Moyen talked about in this podcast, you know, some are selling for 30K, you know, maybe even six figures on some of these levels. And that does support the professional organized play. Flesh and Blood also does do promos, but because they don't have, Flesh and Blood is not a in a third-party IP, right? They're not drawing on this large uh you know, user base of people that are interested in the game because of a TV show or something like that. Uh, they also put up a million and a half dollars every single year. So at the World Championship, like that's a 300k tournament plus, like you know, a million and a half distributed throughout the year. And my hope is that Ravensburger <laughs> looks towards Flesh and Bud. But if they don't, and if they don't, we got a, we got a couple comments about this last week. I do think, I do think that the Lorcana IP is strong enough to support a promo based prizing structure. My issue with promo-based pricing is that I believe that it is inherently Ponzi-nomic and that it only trends downwards over a longer period of time. And it's not a, it's not an actually sustainable way of supporting a player base. It can be very lucrative, but lucrative doesn't mean sustainability. If we look at five, 10 years, 20 years, I would rather have you know cash-based incentives alongside promos. Um, but yeah, in one piece in the one piece model versus flesh and blood. 
the prizing, you know, money versus promos is less of a big deal for me. And I hope they look at Flesh and Blood for tournament structure, efficiency, and things like that, rather than One Piece and Bandai, who kind of, um, you know, the companies they outsource to are not always the best. I mean, One Piece maybe historically had the worst tournament of all time this past weekend um, yeah. at the One Piece Cup. But uh, yeah, so there are large tournament organizers that I hope that Ravensburger partners with because they are likely unexperienced in the space, like Channel Fireball, like SCG, which I'm sure names you're familiar with from Magic, to help yeah. them get Stars an idea yeah, of how yeah. to run these tournaments uh, well in in Lacana. And I also hope that they don't have... The, my biggest issue with One Piece is getting into the tournaments. I hope that's not an issue in Lacana, because it would be. There's going to be massive demand. Well, the, the promo cards are certainly coming. Like, we already... It was the Rockstar st mm -hmm. stage for the yeah. first one and stuff. So they mm -hmm. are doing that. I think that the, the lingering question is if they're going to put the actual money or not. Like, those special cards, they're like... They, they are going to be there for sure. But when it... World Championship... It's it's an interesting thing because like I th the way I look at it is almost like when you have only promo cards, it's like okay, these are to like retain the players that we have. But if you put the one million dollars, that's that's when you go into the territory where it's it's marketing and you're trying to get mm -hmm. new players in. Yep, yep. Because like that's that's the kind of like like for someone who doesn't already play Lorcana, if the prices are just like alternative arts or promo cards, like you don't really care if you didn't already play. But if they want to like kind of like make waves and get this like let's say pl players who already play different games and haven't gotten into Lorcana yet announcing one million prize pool maybe that's what would get one piece players or or flesh and blood players to to give it a go and try like maybe maybe that would spark their interest so are they going that route like what is their marketing strategy in general yeah. like, that, so that, yeah it's so it's, interesting it's a good question so their marketing strategy uh i i can't actually remember where we heard this but we did discuss this on the podcast before as far as we're aware, uh, after set three, or I don't know if it's if it's after set three in terms of set four or when set three begins, is where apparently Ravensburger and Disney Lorcana are really going to up their marketing for the game. And I think that's kind of fair because for the start, they kind of need to get the ball rolling. Yeah. We had the issues in set one with all of the, the, the stock, all the scalpers, boxes going for four yeah. to $500. Um, and now the game is in a lot healthier state in terms of stock and, and, and stuff like that. So... I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they they could literally start off by marketing like that. Like if if they and yeah, it's interesting because imagine they said, "Oh, if you win the world championship of Lorcana, you get this really cool Elsa card." It's like how many people are going to care about that if it said, yeah. "Oh, two million dollar, you know, Disney Lorcana tournament at Disneyland or at this, you know, at this some extravagant thing." That that's what <laughs> makes headlines. That's what helps get the game discovered. If that makes sense. But yeah, in terms of the marketing, it's a fair point. I haven't really seen the game marketed much anywhere. It's it's uh, something that needs to be worked on, but I think it's definitely uh, it, it's it's in the works right now. It's it's it's, it's going to happen soon enough. And also with the addition of we saw like the uh, the kind of new bundle of like a starter package that they're doing. So it's not just starter decks to kind of be. It's kind of like Pokemon's my first battle or mm -hmm. like uh, Ma Magic has like the starter thing too, of, like how, basically how to learn. Yeah. yeah, how how to how to learn Magic. So. Um, I think that's going to help with just introducing more people to the game uh, casually as well. But yeah, how we get more competitive people into Lorcana will be if we see a big cash prize headline for the competitive mm. scene. I think there's no doubt about that. I think that the competitive scene, like, so if you put up a million and a half, put up a million dollars for a prize pool, the amount of players that show up to play that tournament 
uh, is going to be a small fraction of, I think, the players that you actually attract by having a competitive circuit that is attracting the best card game players in the world, which are some of the biggest content creators in the world, which then put on production via gameplay, which casual players are interested in watching, which becomes a key marketing piece for your game. And I think that you look at you look at like, oh, if we put up a million dollars and bring more competitive players, well, let's be real. Competitive players, they're a small portion of the audience. But sure. the content that can be created from that and the lengths that can push the game will, I think, I believe will percolate down to the casual level. Because there's one thing I've learned about card games <laughs> for doing content for three different card games is that casual players really want to win. They also really want to win too. Like card games reach the thing about card gaming versus other games. And I know there's people that are, you know, Johnny's and they love building synergistic decks, but card games reach an objective result where you win or you lose. And casual players often want to win to, to the sit to a similar level that competitive players do. And, you know, high level content is interesting to a larger casual base, not the hyper-competitive players, not just the hyper-competitive players that are going to show up and try to play the tournament. So I would love to see, um, you know, a tournament like that attracting, attracting much people. Also high-level production, like high-level production. Mm, like yeah. mm, I wouldn't even look, I wouldn't even sure. look at Flesh and Blood, to be honest. I would look at the Magic Pro Tour. The Magic Pro Tour is fucking unbelievable. It is so high production level nowadays, and I know they got rid of it, and I know some people are jaded about it, but I'm telling you, as someone who casually plays Magic and is casually aware of Magic, I turn on the Pro Tour on my TV, and I'm just like, I feel like I'm watching the NFL. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So I, I hope we uh, do the, kind of like on the, on the putting money on the line and stuff, like I, I personally think that especially with the first year, I think it's really important that obviously like I want it to happen as well. So it's like, it's hard to see objectively, like, like if it's how valuable it is to them. But, but when we talk about something like, like cards, when you buy cards and cards retaining value, cards having value, just like it's completely different. Like, like seeing the best cards, like for example, the value of the cards, if there's a million dollar tournament on the horizon, something like the beast, what is it? 50 bucks now, maybe like, like the, 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 the cards that you have at your home, the physical cards, like just like the sense of value and their actual like resale value is, is much higher. Uh, if there are actual tournaments with actual prices, it's just, I think for a physical card game, just having that, like, even if it's just like, you're never going to sell your cards or something. It's just like, it's in your head only, uh, but having like those cards, oh, that these are valuable that I'm holding in my hands. My deck is like worth a lot, you know, it's just, I, I really think that like, just having like straight up cash is going to be very important. Mm -hmm. for, yeah. for me, I think organized play is also like such undervalued marketing as for example, for Hearthstone, I've had lots of casual friends, of lots of friends that were casually playing Hearthstone, that still stopped playing Hearthstone when when esports uh, declined yeah. in in Hearthstone, and they, it was never their objective goal to play in any of these tournaments, but it's it still was an important part for them to have in the game that they only casually want to play. That's because a it's, great yeah. point. That's yeah. me. I, that I remember to me. that literally happened to yeah. me. My my favorite thing, honestly, my favorite thing to do in in Hearthstone back at its peak time was just watch the events. I think a lot of people can can attest to that, right? It's it's uh, you know the World Championship from I would say honestly from like 2015 to 2018 every year. It was unbelievable to watch. You know what I mean? And 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 like I just feel like I I I haven't had that um, aspect. And and yeah, like I. I my goal wasn't to qualify for these terms at the time. I was just playing Hearthstone because I enjoyed the game, right? Yeah. But watching these high level players and and these crazy moments that happen in tournaments, right? Like like these high level players could have practiced these matches for for 
ages. Of course, a game like Hearthstone introduces a lot of RNG, right? Like yeah. we're talking about peak Hearthstone when Yogg-Saron was a card where just to get anything could happen, right? Which yeah. is which makes for really good, cool, like good spectacle moments. Um, go ahead. Yeah, it's it really like it all just like comes together, I think, for the same like so Brenda mentioned the the production quality. Mm -hmm. I think that it all comes down to like sort of like prestige of the event. And production is one aspect. The actual price pool is another. And like it's just like like the, having that kind of like, you know, world championship event that really feels like world championship. I think that's just a, such a huge like magnet that's just like driving force that's just like, you know, like like. Yeah, most people are not gonna make it there, but it's it just gives you that like feel that oh, but what if? Like, so it makes you like try harder and try to like you know. It's just ask for inspirational content. You gotta add, like you ask another why. point. Why do you play something? Like I, it, not everybody is wired this way, <clears throat> and I, I know I'm wired this way mm -hmm. to a fault. But if I'm gonna engage my time with something, even for what looks like pure hedonism, like playing a card game or having fun, like I ask myself why? Like why would I do? What is what? is the end of the road if i do so, if i'm committing mm -hmm. my time to something like this doesn't mean i'm going to get there doesn't mean doesn't mean that's my necessarily my goal but i like to have that aspirational content that challenge that exists at the very top that i can aspire to go ahead and yeah and that's that's Which, like uh, just like going back to hearthstone and lorcan at the same time like for me it feels like it's just like when it comes to hearthstone and like just giving kind of like okay like like we we know what's coming and there's like not a whole lot to look forward to and maybe that's part of the reason why i'm so excited about lorcana right now because we really don't know what's going to happen next like i feel like things are only going to get bigger but how much bigger like no one knows like it's pretty exciting yeah which for me just the aspirational aspect of organized play also there's, there's another point is which um i think it's a mistake that halfstone did and i think also magic did where at some point the organized play, the top level event events weren't really uh, open events anymore, and mm -hmm. suddenly mm -hmm. Hearthstone introduced yeah. this Grandmaster League, and maybe it was uh, you had people, you had more people that people would want to watch in the events, and I, I, I still think it hurt the game because at the same time it um, it's it again killed the dream of of of, of the the every um the average the player just the unknown player making a story like that's yeah that's what like tournaments and esports and stuff not mm -hmm. i mean over the years right it's like this unknown player who came out of nowhere has built their built up and they've won it the underdogs won the tournament like it's stories and moments that without broadcasts official events like like stuff like this uh it, it just wouldn't happen and when, yeah when you have those things where you kind of lock players out it uh, it gets difficult so yeah just going back to what Brendan said as well, I do really, really, really hope that all of these events, once the official OP is fully announced with the prize sport and the format, that enough players can participate in it, and that's not like very much uh, locked out, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like obviously, you know, venues are only so big. If you don't live in a certain area, like it, it is unfortunate. They they can only do their best, but mm -hmm. it's. I, I hope it's as accessible as it can be. From from the get go, for sure. Absolutely, because that, that's an, we actually touched upon this a little bit before the podcast started, uh, and, and uh, like the current Hearthstone system, I think that, that it's just like it's so inaccessible. Even people who are basically playing full time are saying they're not gonna even try to qualify, which is mm -hmm. just like, ooh, as long as the, as soon as they announce it, it's just like a bunch of streamers and like no, it's just it's such a time sink. It's so inaccessible and like just the. Uh, it's just crazy. So, I, but but we've seen usually in uh, like physical TCGs. Luckily, like I, I think it will be something where everybody has a chance. It's kind of like you play well, you get a little bit lucky maybe, and like you have a chance to like kind of like just go all the way. Mm. Yep. I uh, I think it 
like you mentioned, it happened to Hearthstone. I think it happened in, in Magic to an extent with the MPL to an extent when they fully got rid of pro mm-hmm. play and it was just the MPL. Um, it was it was borderline impossible to qualify for, um, and there wasn't really a clear path. I think that that's that's really important yeah, to foster. That's true. Yeah, even if the casual player, like I play games casual, and when I say the casual player, I'm not. I'm not talking about like everybody else. I'm also talking about myself. Like I played these games casually. I played Magic casually. I played Hearthstone casually. And when Hearthstone got got rid of of their organized play system to an extent, and like the Master Tours productions went down significantly, mm. it was all online instead of in person. I know part of that was to COVID. Like it made me as a casual player way less interested in the game. It's hard to articulate why exactly that is outside of like I like there to be something to aspire to, but I never had a goal of playing at that level. But still, it's like as soon as it went, I was like, oh, well, there's no real point to this. So if like if any time I became uninterested with the game or I didn't have immediate fun with the game, it's like, why am I doing this? There's nothing at the end Mm -hmm. of the road. Why would I go through? Why would I not have fun for this one game where I play against, you know, Bomb Warrior or something? It's just like there's no point. It's like I would just I would just go on to the next thing. So that's a it's an interesting concept. I think Ravensburger is they're poised, you know, they're in the place to to really hit this out of the park. Um, it just depends on how seriously they take it and if they can recognize their potential. Because if I read between the lines on Ravensburger, I think they played it a bit safe in most aspects of their game. Um, you know, they they really wanted to see how it was taken by the market before they announced, you know, organized play, before, before they did a lot of things, to be honest. And my biggest worry is that they don't have the internal structure to actually run these kind of tournaments that we're talking about here because it is a logistical nightmare, right? It is a momentous task to say the least, especially when it comes to production. Um, So I hope that they seek out the correct advisors and potential third-party companies that have experience doing these things because I would say it's a borderline impossible task. If you don't have extensive experience in the industry when it comes to production, running tournaments, judge like literally everything that goes into it um, for a major event, it would be almost impossible to put on a massive, like a massive scale tournament. Like it, there is so much that goes into it, but luckily there are like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have a, a ton of experience with this. So hopefully they, they take it seriously and they, they, they seek those people out because it has potential. I know if Lorcana, if or Lorcana slapped that $1 million on it, and like I said, they don't have to do that, but I, I do believe that the competitive players would come over in droves, especially from games like Magic um, to compete in Lorcana. So yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I think the I think the path forward is like so just like support the local game stores and like kind uh, of foster those like partnerships, give get them those cards for the smaller event, and then do like the bigger events. Like I think I think like large conventions would probably be the most natural way to way to go about it. Like whether it's like board game, card game, or whatever these like you know like PAX events and mm-hmm. uh, Comic Con and that kind of stuff. I for, I'm, I'm definitely forgetting some, but like like just having like some of those bigger events that like maybe those. Those I, w- I was told, uh, so the last tournament I went to in Manchester, the store that I participated in, uh, they're like the biggest, uh, they, I, I don't know how to say this exactly, but like they pretty much get like the largest amount of stock of Lorcan mm-hmm. in the UK. So, and it, which is great because ultimately they can sell product, but they can also use product for events, right? To run events, which is great. Um, But they talked to me about there's a specific uh, uh, exhibition, I think, or something like that coming up in around May. It's like, I don't know, let's say it's the, Manchester Board Game Expo or something like that, right? Like, there's a lot of these um, events, and and it's like how I got introduced to the game for um, Gamescom, like you said, Savit, like PAX mm-hmm. and stuff. These are the events where they will start to have stuff, um, the bigger types of events. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm still super interested in 
what the format is going to be because Moyen, like you 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 have the most experience i would say currently at the moment in terms of like per event right let's let's say you win let's say lord kind of do a big event a, a pax east right you win it you get so many points you need a certain amount of points to then qualify to the to the na championships and then from the na championships if you get that you go to the worlds right is there a particular system uh i guess i'll, I'll ask everyone here that you guys would like to see in terms of that kind of points threshold that a lot of the smaller level ones that like the local game stores and the smaller events you get small amounts of points the bigger ones if you do well you'll get to that threshold and you'll kind of qualify because i'm kind of unfamiliar with the structure from other games like magic flesh and blood etc i'll mm. put it to everyone yeah and the, so for qualifying for bigger events i think point systems uh points based systems are usually great for the player um as in it will reward the the, the, the best players more often than not um because the other way to do it is sometimes the these games just say okay we have this one tournament and then top x qualifies to the next tournament and those tournaments can feel a little spiky and unrewarding where maybe you feel like um not not that the people that make it are not deserving but maybe it's not the more uh, there's a lot of people that deserved it the most that still miss out because it's just based on single events. So it's less I, consistent, I, I, right, than, yeah. than multiple events. Yeah. 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 I personally love any point point based uh, system. If you do, if you go like, okay, we have nationals, European nationals, and American nationals, and the top eight players of both tournaments go to worlds. It's like doing a second top cut for those tournaments. Have, like, it's just we have uh, we have top two in, yeah. in, in in one piece. We had two two point five thousand player in EU, two thousand five player tournament uh, player tournament. And top two make it to us yeah. from that one top. It's just yeah. crazy. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. you want That's it to be a... point-based <laughs> to mitigate variance. And it, it makes it so like, the okay, so the downside of point-based is that you might have to grind. You might have to play more tournaments than you want to. You might do well in a tournament, still have to play. Um, that can be inconvenient. But it's just a much better system for competitive players, I think, to spread it out across multiple events and have it a point-based system. And it gives everybody the chance, a reasonable chance that if they work hard and they play well, that they can get to those tournaments. And that's what the World Championship should be. It, should, it doesn't have to be the best players. It can also be the hardest workers as well. Like, that is very yeah. fair. And I think that that's... It really doesn't. Especially, like, like I, I, I don't think... Let's remember here that, like, these this events, like, they're mostly just, like, marketing at the end of the day. Like, Esports, everything, it's just, like... Whatever gets the most people engaged, I think I, I, I really think that it, from Ravensburger's point of view, whoever the top eight are gonna be like, unless they're like somehow like I don't know, maybe maybe if I made it, maybe I would bring some like you know eyes on it. But just generally speaking, like the average top eight, like it really doesn't matter who who it is to them. Like I, I don't think it's gonna be many like no names or anyone who who would like bring bring like. Uh, you know, like be, have extra marketing value. I think mm -hmm. it's just the accessibility and just the feeling like like that could be you. It's like it's really big. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well so at the same time, it cannot be like because I, I think you need to find a way in between. For example, in Hearthstone right now, it, it, it will be extremely good players that qualify, yeah. but mm -hmm. uh, in 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 return, it loses the sense of accessibility because you have to play like uh, basically each day the entire day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think going forward, like this, there's, there's gonna be a certain like aspect where you like you want to see the same guys. You like when there's like let's say whoever wins the world first like world championship in Lorcana, there's gonna be a like that person will get some kind of bit of a following and like mm -hmm. people will be rooting for that person, like looking up to up to up to like him and her, him or her and just like you know all all that stuff and uh, and there will be uh, like community figures m m merging and and uh, kind of hoping people will start to know who the best 
best players are rooting for them. And then you kind of want to see them again, I suppose. But mm -hmm. like to begin with, I really don't think uh, it's a it's a big deal. So uh, some, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I just like I'm like to wrap up my thoughts on that. Yeah, you just um like you you build your own players in your game, and then you need to push and tell need to push their narratives and tell their stories. It's actually like a it's a big thing right. when it comes to production. And what makes Magic production so much better than others is not necessarily how expensive their cameras are, how consistent their broadcast is, the lack of commercials. It's actually just how well they tell their players' stories. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of Magic players that became popular and famous through the pro tour and we were told their stories via good production and good coverage and you can build your own players and build your own narratives um if you do production right so hopefully that's something they do and i think that lorcana can can absolutely do that we don't need like all these big names from necessarily from other card games to uh, no, have no, mass no, appeal we can build these sort of grassroots uh lorcana players anyway we've run a bit long so i'm gonna skip this build ink section for this week we can push over to next week uh so if you just want to thank you for coming on the podcast give you a chance to shout out anything you're up to where people can find you etc yeah so so yeah I'm, I'm streaming uh most days i'm streaming both on youtube and twitch savage uh hearthstone is the game that i'm playing right now Lorcana, i'm really like excited about the future i'm keeping an eye eye on everything that's happening when they when the uh, announcements happen i'm sure i'll be like uh looking carefully through them and uh just just excited for the future of Lorcana. i think it's a really fun game and uh yeah thanks for having me yeah appreciate you coming on once again um for anybody listening to this if you enjoy this podcast and you <laughs> want to help us out the number one thing you can do is leave us a review you can do the apple podcast or spotify anywhere you're listening we do read every review so interested to hear your feedback there's a video version of this on youtube at youtube.com slash at podcana podcast hit that subscribe while you're there the, uh twitters are brennan apg kawatech underscore cg moin underscore hs i'm going off memory here savage if you could shout yours out real quick S-A-V-J-Z awesome. uh, It's my X, it's my YouTube, it's my Twitch. Perfect. Thank you so thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.